right. Uh, welcome back to the show, Afternoon Snack Podcast. Why do you do that every single time? Every single time, trying to intro the episode. Yeah, thanks. It's a tired joke, Alex. Okay. All right, episode 82. Uh, this is a special guest episode. We have our coach, Meg Purdue, on the show. Um, Meg's been with Tactic for, gosh, like forever now, two years or so. Um, great coach, great friend of ours, and we've been really itching to get her on the show. Um, and we're glad she's here. So we're going to let Meg introduce herself. So Meg, introduce yourself. All right. Uh, hi, obviously I'm Meg. Um, yeah, I've been working with tactic now for just about two years. Um, some fun facts about me that my clients are always surprised to hear is that I'm American. Um, I'm from the East, so Pennsylvania State College, um, probably known for Penn State University. And I moved to Canada in 2017. Same year I moved to Canada. Perfect timing. It was a great year for Canada. Must it say. was. <laughs> <laughs> I beg to differ. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't. Yeah. It was a good time. Uh, so Penn State, Nittany Lions. Yeah. yeah. Um, for any sports fans out there, maybe that's just me. Are you a sports fan? I feel like Penn State people are like big sports people. Yeah, you'd think that I'd be really into it, but it's just a nuisance for many of the locals <laughs> <laughs> to have that's to fair. navigate uh, football weekends. And I'm more of a soccer tennis person, so football is just not my jam. Can respect that. Yeah. Yeah. I can respect that. Um, great. Yeah. So what you went to Penn State, what's your like what what's your educational background there? What did you do? Um, I got a degree in nutrition applied sciences. Um, so basically the same like uh education that a registered dietitian goes through. I just didn't complete the um year long like internship and rotation through like different clinical um areas yeah how come was that like a, an active decision that you made at the time like i i don't want to be an rd yeah it actually was um i just think that our rds i don't always agree with with some of the things that they preach and i i realized that i was more into the science aspect of of nutrition in general so Initially, I was thinking I'd go get my master's in something like very science-based, um, which ended up not being the case, but that was where I thought it was headed. Yeah, totally. Um, so there's obviously, you didn't, you didn't graduate uh, with that degree and come work for us immediately, obviously. So what, what was that in-between time like? There's, there was obviously a period of, uh, of dabbling, of working, of doing something. So what was that, what was that for you? Yeah, I... I had lived in state college, obviously, like most of my life. And it was kind of like known as soon as I was in high school that I had to go to Penn State just because it was going to be a lot cheaper because my dad's a professor there and you get a discount and things like that. So I decided I wanted to go as far away from home as I could. Um, and the the individuals uh, dating at the time, she lived in Victoria. And so I was like, oh, I'm just... There it is. <laughs> <laughs> that was, a, that was from, that's from Pitch, uh, per, pitch Perfect. 
We got Alex's pop culture oh my gosh. references. That's, are... that's a pitch perfect gay joke. I know. So there Your you delivery go. Could've... Anyways, the, gir- the person that you were dating. Yeah. yeah. Did you yes. just out Meg on the podcast? No, Meg? she just outed herself. She and said then I just pointed. The, I had... She said the person. No, she said she. she. I, I did use she after I used oh. the word individual. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I thought you snuck in a they there and I was like, oh, we're being mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Please continue. Yeah, so um, she actually was, I forgot how many times she told me, uh, the University of Victoria is really hard to get into. Like, I'm not sure if you will. And I was like, I have straight A's. Like, I'm top of my class. Like, I'm Penn State. (laughs) I'm fine. And so it only took like two weeks and I got my like acceptance, whatever. And um, then I visited in November. 2017 and met my um what do you call oh my gosh my graduate advisor pj and um she was really cool and we talked about like what my research would look like and yeah that's kind of so it sounds like the person you were dating really believed in you (laughs) yeah you know it really did it's (laughs) there should have been a red flag right there (laughs) instead you were like what's up dropping the paper in her lap yep <laughs> it's essentially like, that's how every good relationship starts <laughs> suck it <laughs> i got in in two weeks yeah Chomp. um <laughs> that's really that's cool so what did your research at um ubc look like um university of victoria not- university of victoria i'm sorry yeah. i was thinking All wrong good. wrong bc school all good um yeah it was centered around uh, family healthy living and childhood obesity. So I went specifically to help with developing a program for families and children who are off like the healthy weight trajectory. So overweight and obese. And that's kind of um, what I helped develop. And I didn't necessarily help run the program. I was more there to help with data collection and analysis. Um, but yeah, that was my main focus. Uh, my degree was actually in uh, kinesiology, a master of science, but most of my research was based in nutrition. So it's kind of yeah. There. There's some definitely some overlap in those programs. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed when you when we were hiring uh, back two years ago to have a new coach, we had only had Lindsay as our our like coach beyond the two of us and your resume came through like very quickly probably I think it was in within 24 hours of us like putting out the call and I remember looking at the resume and being like damn I was like holy tired <laughs> like yeah you have a great resume yeah um so on that like I guess there's a couple questions so how do you feel like your education helps you in what you do now with nutrition coaching and how do you feel and you can be completely honest here like what is the difference? Cause you used to, you worked for the university. Mm-hmm. How is it, how was that transition to like a small business? Like yeah. you were one of, I think we hired three people like including you at that time. So you were a group, we were a group of six. Well, no, I think Meg was first and then two, two, two more. more, like not, not with, not at the same time, but like, yeah. So, I don't, but yeah. So you were, you came into a group of three adding four. And then closely followed by five and six. So <laughs> yeah. it's a pretty small business. 
Yeah. Um, so, okay. The first question was about my, how my research is helping, right? <laughs> yeah. And you're just your general background. Yeah. So what was very cool is a lot of the classes that I took in university and a lot of the research I did was about um, behavioral psychology. So a lot of it was behavior change. Um, I worked with a specific theory called the multi-process action control framework, which is a mouthful and we just call it MPAC. Um, but also learned about basically every behavioral theory out there, um, self-determination theory, like you name it. Um, uh, that's what I had to basically memorize and give presentations on things like that. And I'd say that that was probably like so far as a nutrition coach, one of the most valuable things I've learned is just like how people develop behaviors and how those behaviors become habits and how that relates to identity and things like that. Like, I mean, it's something that I reference probably every day without even really knowing it, but that's definitely been very, very helpful for me. And now cool. the sec the next question. <laughs> you yeah, asked, Alex likes you to ask. A lot. The next question was <laughs> how really was it transitioning from like working for a pretty established like university? I don't really know the ins and outs of what you were doing before, but like how was it, I guess, more coming into our group and kind of being like working as a I guess like a contractor, like kind of you have your own clients, but you are kind of like working for a small company. Yeah, it was actually a pretty seamless transition. I think part of that was due to um, having great, great bosses. Yeah, I mean that, but <laughs> also the fact that I had been working from home for most of the time anyways. Um, and my job before I was a research coordinator. So I helped write grants for research, uh, write publications and um just helped run the lab. It was called the Digital Health Lab. So we were very like into, like at the time we were building our own app to help with um, just a variety of like running health interventions. So one of the reasons that I decided to make the transition from working um, in the Digital Health Lab, like as a research coordinator to um, nutrition coaching was I really struggled um, when I would receive um, I don't know what would you call them, peer reviews, I guess, or comments from outside reviewers about our publications. And I would spend like, I mean, every researcher professor does like hours on, on writing. And I'm not super confident individual, but I know that I'm a pretty good writer. And so I would always, I would take every single comment I got like personally. So it was just, it was very hard to cope with that. Like, day after day. Uh, so I quickly realized that, yeah, I didn't necessarily have the backbone to deal with getting this kind of criticism. And I wasn't really enjoying my job. I didn't get to interact uh, directly with people or communicate with people in the way that I wanted to. Um, it was more like, I mean, the background helping set up the research that's eventually supposed to help people instead of doing it more directly, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that was one of the the main reasons that I felt like I needed to to look for something else. Yeah, like you're. It sounds like you're you're pretty far removed or like pulled back from the outcomes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, which probably some people don't mind that. Maybe they even prefer it, but mm -hmm. it kind of depends on what what motivates you. So, 
Um, I have a question and it's about, so we were talking, you were talking about uh, behavioral psychology and a couple of different theories and schools of thought there. And this is something that as I've, the longer I do this, the more interest I have in that because I, f I find it's like way more relevant than, you know, how your body accesses glycogen stores. I don't think that's particularly, while it's interesting, not like really that relevant for people on a day-to-day -day basis. But I'm wondering, as far as um, those go, like which ones, like which one do you, do you have a favorite? Like a favorite <laughs> behavioral theory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one do you like, do you kind of like go back to as like that makes a lot of sense? Well, I'm I'm very biased because our whole program was was kind of developed around this idea of like the multi-process action control framework, um, which kind oh, of combines multi access multi-control framework, <laughs> which kind of combines a variety of of behavioral theories. Um, so I'd say that's my favorite, just because. I mean, unfortunately, this, this isn't going to be a visual podcast, so I can't show you the awesome diagram that exists. Um, but <laughs> We can Google it, though. Yeah, you totally can Google mm. it. But it just kind of, like, outlines, like, how people go from having, like, a very basic intention to execute a behavior to then regularly performing that behavior and then developing that behavior as a habit and then how that connects to it becoming an, a part of your identity. And I just really like how it's, how it's laid out. And to me, it's very easy to see like when you're coaching people or interacting with people, how it's realistic and like applicable to humans. Like it's not, it's not so philosophical that you can't really put it into action if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Because I do find a lot of the behavior change kind of gurus online. Like the, I, I, I like the messaging and I can get down with hearing it, but it's, it lacks, um, at like direct applicability or, um, it's not always the most practical. Like it sounds really good, but it's like, Hey, how do I put that like Justin Sue a thing, um, mm -hmm. into action for somebody? Cause it's like, there's a big disconnect with like what we know to be true and how we make that come true for people. And I think that's, where a lot of the more specific behavioral theories can come into to play. I like self-determination theory. That's the one I I get really stuck on. And then, um, yeah, the so social identity is as well. The more I do in the online space, the more I see social identity come out with people's belief systems and specifically how they handle criticism of a thing that they make a decision to do as like a personal, like, well, you're saying I'm a bad person. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying this thing that you're choosing to do doesn't necessarily have a lot of like data to back it up. Yeah, People get really offended by that. But mm -hmm. um, that's really cool. I'm going to look up, I'm going to, I'm le legitimately going to look yours up because I'm a visual learner. Yeah, there's a whole website. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So, okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Um... All right, let's stay on the topic of nutrition coaching and tactic, and then we can move on. What would you say has been one of your most proud moments or fulfilling experiences? Like you don't have to talk about a specific client, but maybe somebody specific you've helped or 
um, something you've learned or something like that? Like what, what day or like, what was there a moment where you're like, okay, this is great. This is a great job. Or I'm so like, I'm so lucky or whatever. I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing things out there. Oh, one of my first clients, uh, I know I shouldn't like talk too specific, but, um, there was a bit of a language barrier between the two of us, but she was very like dedicated to learning and she knew a lot about nutrition. Like she did a lot of reading on her own and stuck with it for quite a while. And the goal was to uh, eventually um, get her period back. And a lot of the things that I would suggest like are backed by research where she's always kind of like inquisitive about it. Like, eh, like I'm not sure. And like, that's totally <laughs> fair. Like, I don't think you should just listen to someone and be like, and believe them right away. Like, it's good to always be curious and, and question people. But after she finished up, a couple months went by and I just, I got a random text from her and she was like, you were right. <laughs> like, I kept doing <laughs> what you told me to do. And I finally got my period back and like, I'm, I'm healthy. Like things are going great. And I'm pretty sure I cried. Like I was just so happy for her. And yeah, it was, it was just great. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I've, I think that like a lot of, and it's, I'm in the middle of writing a post about this, but I think a lot of coaching is like encouraging people to continue doing the things that maybe they're a little bit skeptical of, or they're, you know, I don't understand how this could possibly work. It's, you know, it's too easy or, you know, whatever. And then eventually they do work and there's a lot of then gratitude towards the coach because probably that person did something way easier than they thought they would have to do. The, the key was just doing it a little bit longer than maybe they would have intuitively done by exactly. themselves. Yeah, yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Um, that is a good answer. I'm trying to, there was something that popped up there and I can't remember what it was. I guess in, in terms of coaching, so you've been with us for a couple of years now, and obviously um, you've been the recipient of coaching. Like you're an athlete, uh, you do CrossFit, you compete. Um, I'm interested to know how the, the practice of being a coach yourself has changed you as a, a person or an athlete, um, maybe, yeah, improved, improved your life. Cause that's something that we both find to be true is that, you know, certain concepts, like it's almost like you say it enough to a person and it starts to sink in with you. So I'm wondering if you've had a similar experience. Yeah. I think as I've been like coaching more and more people and I see, or I, I work with people that I see a lot of myself in them and, um, I kind of see these faults in myself as, being someone like whether or not I'm coachable or not, like that's a question I sometimes ask myself. And I realized that there, I have become a lot more coachable in the past couple of years. I used to be very like, I'd take everything personally. Um, and I still do take some things personally just because I care so much, but I'm starting to learn how to just take feedback, process it, apply it, like, it's not personal. Your coach just wants you to be better, right? Like that's yeah. their job. Um, and, and if they aren't finding things for you to work on, like, how are you going to grow? Uh, so that's been something I've noticed. Like, I'm just trying to have a lot more of like a growth mindset instead of like 
feeling like I need to always get this positive feedback from a coach. That's really interesting because you said earlier that you didn't necessarily always have the backbone for criticism or what you probably perceived at the time as rejection, even though it's, you know, not necessarily rejection, it's just feedback, but you probably were taking that feedback pretty personally. So it's interesting that you can grow into that criticism or just criticism in general in a, you know, in a, a different, a different way. Yeah, that's a good point. I'd say that the, my coach right now and the coach I've had, coaches I've had in the past couple of years provide feedback in a much nicer way than, yeah, than what I received previously. But, but yeah, that is a good point. I, um, I have been on the, also on the receiving end of peer reviewed feedback and feedback from scientists and engineers who have no emotional really sense about them at all. It's yeah. not that they're mean people, but they do say mean things sometimes mm-hmm. without realizing that's the impact. But, but yeah, I yep. used to get my, uh, my parents to review my school papers, like, in law school sometimes, but more so like in high school when you would write a paper, like a, even like in like grade school, I'd write a book report and it's like, hey mom, can you edit this? And like my dad was the worst because like they're both lawyers. They both just like go through contracts all day long with a fine tooth comb. And they're taking this like grade seven paper and doing the exact same thing. And it would come back and it would just be like, my dad was like very into grammar. So there would just be red marks everywhere on grammar, a lot of commas. And then my mom would basically rearrange the whole thing because she was more of like a flow expert. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. I just like, it got to the point where I was like, I can't like, first of all, I can't rewrite. I don't have time to like rewrite this thing after my parents edit it. Like it's fine. But I remember getting like, not that I was like ever getting feedback from like a peer reviewed on a peer, like, yeah, peer review, but definitely, I definitely can feel that. Oh yeah. Especially when you're like, nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of like the first time Meredith and I submitted our taxes to our accountant and literally we just like pounded and we're like, nailed it. And it was, she sent back this email that was unbelievably long full of questions because nothing made sense to her. (laughs) Yeah, that was not the best. I think fundamentally people need to feel like they have some amount of like competence in what they're trying to do. And maybe like your parents didn't do a good job with that. (laughs) Our accountants didn't do a good job with that. Maybe the people doing your peer review (laughs) didn't do a good job with that. Where I think, um, you know, a good coach and that's the, that's what makes someone a coach and not, you know, a contract lawyer or a a biomedical engineer, I think what makes someone a good coach is that they can, and this of course goes back to self-determination theory, which I won't get into, but like there's, you make a person feel like, even if they're not necessarily particularly good at what they're trying to do, you find ways to be like, oh, nice, yeah, that. Like you, you inspire some, some confidence in their own competence and then that makes them want to, you know, continue striving versus just like shutting them down, which is just going to make someone want to quit. Yeah. But there's 100%. a difference between, and I just ran into this yesterday with one of my clients. There's a difference between like providing praise and saying good job and like saying I'm proud of you. Cause that creates like dependency. Like then they're doing it for the coach. Whereas like you want to still 
provide support so they feel like they can do it and make it small enough, the task small enough so that they feel confident in executing without them feeling like they're doing it for anybody else other than themselves. It's like, it's a fine line. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is like, especially with that phrase, I'm proud of you. Like that's mm-hmm. something I personally try not to use often, but there, it is valuable though to tell people like, look, you did this really well. And like, you did do a good job. Like that is important because it does help build confidence, right? Like they know, okay, yeah, I did a great job adding protein to my breakfast. I can do it again. So like pointing those things out can still mm-hmm. be valuable, totally. which I'm not, I'm not sure totally if you were saying it wasn't or not, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I do worry. Like I find when people are weight loss goal oriented and they lose weight and it's mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't like saying like, great job at losing yeah. weight because totally. that's not, it's like you, what habits did you do? And show like, look at what you've done. You should be really proud of that. Let's build on that. Yeah. Rather than like, wow, I'm proud. Like, great proud job for losing 10 pounds. Achieved like, this arbitrary weight goal that you yeah, set Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really, it's like, it's, it's really making sure that there's like acknowledgement of what they had control over. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. that can be really beneficial. But yeah. Yep. That's really cool. Um, okay. So more about you. Okay, I'm ready. Things I know about you. Um, well, you're married I to am. a woman, so you're I gay. Um, I don't know like what word you use to identify yourself. It doesn't really matter. As you know, we like gay <laughs> and we've talked about it. But anyways, you're- Is there a word that you like, you dislike? And we can we can go on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I actually like, I am in the same boat as you. I, I despise the word lesbian. It makes yes. my skin crawl. It makes me incredibly uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, I prefer the word gay. Yeah. It's, okay. just, it's just easier. It sounds better. Yeah. Okay. What do you think about the word queer? That word doesn't bother me. I just, I just don't like relate to it or identify with it. I find um, the word queer... I think that that stands in for using the acronym LGBTQ+. Like that's, they're like interchangeable. But I still am going to refer to myself as like a gay person. Yeah. I I should know more about this, but. That's okay. (laughs) Like we recently (laughs) listened to a podcast where uh, it was Carmen Esposito's podcast. Brandy Carlisle was on it and they used the word queer a lot. And to me, I was like, I don't, we were talking about it after we don't, I've never really used that word to describe myself. And I think part of it, and there's nothing, I don't, if someone uses it, I'm fine with it. I'm not like, oh my gosh. But I think it's because to me, queer is like other, or it's, it's the definition of it is weird or other. And like, I don't like to see myself as that. I think some people are really proud to be considered other, but that's like, it's just how you perceive a word, like how you define it. Well, I think the the history of that word is that that was the word that was used to describe gay people at like the turn of the 19th century, like around 1900. And then basically like it meant odd, like this person is odd because, you know, they're gay or whatever, they're queer. And I think the community, uh, the community, which was underground at that time, decided we don't like that word. We don't like being odd. We don't like people calling us odd. We're going to use the word gay, which is a word for happy. And so that's where, like, that's when that change happened. And then queer is a word that I think the the gay, the LGBTQ community 
kind of reclaimed in the past probably 20 years. And so now you're more inclusive than gay. It is, yeah, because gay just describes one facet of LGBTQ+. Yeah, and I think because it's so fluid now, like the identities are so fluid that people, maybe somebody who's like bi isn't like, well, I'm not just bi, I'm like all of these other things. So it's like an easy way to kind of like. Or like, I don't want to put a label on it. Yeah. But like queer, it's like a non-label label. Yeah. Anyways. Um, Sorry. So you have a wife. We met her. We love Jackie. I hope she's cool with us like name dropping her. Um, we hung out (laughs) recently in Vancouver for Cam West games and you both recently, I remember seeing Jackie uh, almost a year ago now. And I remember being like, something's different about her. Something is different. And she had cut her hair. And then you recently (laughs) cut your hair. What was it like four or five months ago? Cause you had pretty long hair. Yeah. I think it was last was it last winter now or, or early spring or something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we had a question. We were thinking about questions to ask you. I'll let Meredith go because she came up with it. Yeah. So how, this is going to seem so ridiculous, but like, <laughs> how has your life changed since cutting your hair? <laughs> <laughs> and if it hasn't, then just say it hasn't. No, it has. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's It's been... I don't know. I feel more free, if that makes sense. It does. Um, yeah. It's now something Jackie and I do together. We go get our haircut together, <laughs> which is amazing. Oh, I yeah. Um, I was kind of mad at her initially that she did it first um, because I had been thinking about it for so long, but I just hadn't, I didn't have the guts to do it. I don't know. Cause like growing up, my mom like was like, Oh, your curly hair is so beautiful. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I didn't want to chop it off, but it just got to a point when it was getting stuck in the ski her- ski erg handles <laughs> and like I'd get whipped in the face when I was doing a snatch or something because my ponytail was so damn long that I decided yeah. something needed to change. <laughs> so did you do it for performance reasons or do you feel like you're more, do you look more like yourself now? Do you feel like? Yeah, I would say that that's, that's accurate. I, I do. Um, but the fact that it was just getting in the way is what made me finally just like make the decision to do it. <laughs> it's yeah. good that you went and did it because I have definitely had moments with when I had longer hair where I got so fed up. I was like, I'm just going to go get the scissors and just like go Britney's beers <laughs> on it. Just get the shit off my head. But I asked that question because I have a client who she, she recently went from like pretty long hair um, to short hair and she's got curly hair not mm-hmm. um, quite like ringlet curls like you do but more kind of like mine and she was like number one I didn't even know my hair would do this when it was this short because it got real it got much curlier and she was like and I also just feel like I'm a it's like I feel like a different person like I feel like I'm finally like me like I've never been a person who wanted to have really long hair I just did it because that's what you do and uh and she's like, I just, she's like, it seems ridiculous to say that like a haircut can be life changing, but I feel like my life has changed as a result of my haircut. Yeah. And I think you feel that way. Even like, I don't have super short hair, but I have way shorter hair than I used to. And I feel that way. Like, it's just, it's when you have long hair that you don't want, because number one, it's really annoying. Number two, you have it because people say things like, oh, I would kill to have curly hair like you, like, don't say that unless you have a head full of curly hair that takes 
like a literal an entire day to air dry like i don't want to hear about it i don't think my hair ever was fully dry (laughs) like i can't even be in the same room as a hair dryer where it's just like like it's just i don't want to it's like but you keep it for those you keep it because you're like well people saying they really want curly hair so i guess i have to keep it and my mom says this and so you just like you end up with this thing attached to your head that you don't want and when you finally get rid of it it's like wow this is who i am yep i agree and if it's like if it doesn't look great you just put a hat on i'm having a hat day exactly like some people are like oh it's only hair when i was like thinking about cutting my hair because i had really short hair growing up until I was about 13 and then I started growing it out and then kept it long up until a couple years ago now. And it was the same thing with my grandma would always be like, Oh, grow your hair. Like my dad would bribe me to grow my hair. And like, you know, my mom would get my wanting to get my ears pierced. I think it's just because for them, even it made their life easier because they just didn't have to correct people all the time. Like, Oh no, that's a girl. Like I went through so many, like just as a kid and like being good at sports doesn't help anybody who's a girl who looks like a boy. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> like I had to like sign papers in soccer, like confirming I was a girl because because <laughs> other teams would be like, it's not fair. That's a boy. Like because I was actually pretty good. So anyway, did you have to walk around with your birth certificate? <laughs> Alexander Parker. No, female. but it happened a couple of times. Like it was a problem. And now I get misgendered again. And it, but it's worth it. It's like whatever, you know? Oh, yeah. I, it's I, like, I could care less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. Why do we have the gender people, though? Like, can we not just stick with, like, they, if we're not sure, or just generally? I don't I gender agree, people's yeah. dogs anymore. When I meet someone's dog, it's just immediately they. How old are they? It's, yeah, like, it's the much, easiest way to, to... I know. Like, people, when we're, around, like, out with Rue, half the time, I would say over half the time, it's he, 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 and you're like, well, it's a she, and I'm like, why are we gendering animals? Just, like... You can do it. It's just what people do. And apparently it provides an element of control. Yes. Yeah. That's what Gio said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Next question. What do you, so you work out quite a bit. You do CrossFit. You compete. What would you say you love most about activity, exercise, CrossFit? Like how long have you been doing CrossFit for, I guess? And like, how did you find it? Um, kind of those are that was like five questions in yeah that was a lot Um, (laughs) chill man (laughs) I think I've been doing CrossFit for five years now maybe six years um and before that I was really into just and everything endurance like running I would run too much (laughs) and uh biking long distance um I met someone on like whatever tinder app thing was at the time and became friends with her and she's like oh you should do crossfit and i was like "Mm, i don't know like i was very hesitant about it um but i went for like my eval and loved it and like was sucked in ever since yeah and Um, i only answered one of your questions there (laughs) well i actually have a question on your answer to that question what is the worst tinder date you've ever been on oh um I've actually been very lucky. Like I've met some weird people, but they were never bad dates. Like they were sometimes boring. Like we'd get coffee and run out of things to talk about, but never bad. Sorry. I don't have an exciting story for you. (sighs) It's because like, I don't know that she did the volume that you did. Yeah. I did a lot of volume. 
It was quantity over quality. Mm, yes, you know that that's not me. That's so, because her her your weird ass like massage guy was like Alex. You just you need to date everybody that you can possibly date, and she took that literally, and she dated the entire city of Calgary. I think before we met. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um. So, what do you like most about working out or CrossFit? Like, what? I guess there's you could probably answer that in a few different sentences. Um, but like, what keeps you coming back? Like, why do you train so much? Why do you like competing? All those things, I guess, kind of summed up. Yeah, I guess one of the great things about CrossFit is that there's literally always something that you could be better at. And, um, just starting out, there were a lot of things I wasn't good at. And I, I liked the fact that I could, as long as I kept showing up and spending the time learning every single skill, like I would eventually be able to master it. Um, I came from a background of horseback riding and I was into like the hunter jumper like aspect and equitation. And it, it was very hard for someone who like would put in hours and hours of work, but I never had the most expensive horse or like the most well-educated horse. So that was always a limitation for me was that I felt like no matter how hard I worked, I couldn't compete with these people who had horses that were like a hundred thousand dollars. That just, and so finding something that if I could apply myself and just use all of like the dedication that I had and that I wanted to get better, um, that was really big for me was just like, it was only up to me, uh, to improve. And that's like all I needed, which was really nice. Have you ever played team sports before? Yeah, I played a lot of soccer growing up. Yeah. How do you, so would you say you're like a good team sport person? Like how do you handle wins and losses differently on a team versus individually? Um, yeah, I would, I wasn't a fan of playing soccer to a certain extent, especially when it was like recreational because I would get really upset at the people who weren't trying hard enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or if other people would like miss miss a shot i would just be pissed yeah this is, this is <laughs> so relatable. so i was like you know what no like yeah. i can only depend on myself these people suck <laughs> yeah um so that's the one thing about like competing individually is that it's up to me like i i have to show up and perform and if i don't that's only on me yeah it's almost le it's like more pressure but also less pressure yeah because you you're just doing it for you exactly and like yeah. the buck stops with what you can do which is a result of the effort and work that you put in mm -hmm. and not how like brilliant your horse is yeah exactly <laughs> yeah did you meet jackie through crossfit yeah <laughs> it's actually a funny story that she tells a lot <laughs> um <laughs> uh let's it was the second or it was the first time i was visiting victoria um and I, remember, I, I moved to Victoria for, for a different woman. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I went to do one of the classes, and it was, was it? it was running, deadlifts, and strict handstand push-ups. And I, now I'm, like, very good at those things, I think. Um, but Jackie at the time was, was like, a games-level athlete. Like, she was on a team. And I didn't really know that. Like I knew she was good, but I didn't know a lot about her. <laughs> and she was doing the class like for some reason. 
And we went out for like an 800 meter run. And I was just like, oh, I can beat this girl. I can keep up with her. Like, no problem. And so I kept up with her on like the first run. And like, we get to the strict handstand pushups. And I'm like, trying to keep up with her. And then like, she was gone. <laughs> and I was Dusted. Like, oh, shit. Like, never mind. <laughs> um, and after that, I like she she really caught my attention. And I would always watch her train and like, especially ring muscle ups. Oh my gosh. I was always just like in awe every time she was doing ring muscle ups. But that's, I think that's the first time she noticed me. She'll tell people like, yeah, this girl came in and I was like, who does she think she is keeping up with me? <laughs> so Classics is definitely not like Jackie was like, didn't notice you. There was probably like, yeah. oh, this girl is not. Like beating me today. I'm about to blow her doors off. <laughs> but the first time Jackie like met me, I don't even think she knew she was gay yet or she like she hadn't come out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know that it was it was weird for the first like year or so. We we would kind of interact with one another, but she was kind of shy and I was awkward, so it was always a weird interaction. <laughs> a match made in heaven. <laughs> exactly. That's really cool. Um, did I'm going to go back to the gay topic. We just jump around. I hope that's fine. Yeah. Um, when did you, and this is a, a personal question, feel free to dodge it if you want. When did you know you were gay? Yeah, that's definitely a great question. Um, I had a really, like, she's still my one of my best friends, a close friend, um, like, towards the end of high school and into university that, supported me a lot when I was going through a variety of like mental health struggles in in college and um I just reached a point where I was like I remember actually a distinct moment I was laying in bed like stealing staring up at my my the ceiling in my bedroom and it was like oh oh you you love her like that's that's what's going on <laughs> and it I kind of just like sat with it for a couple weeks and another person I was a friend with at the time like she kind of helped me realize it as well um but then the most annoying thing is when I was like ready to tell my my sister and my mom my dad was just like gonna find out through my mom um they were like yeah we know (laughs) classic (laughs) I had the same thing happen to me yeah I was like what the hell like what do you mean you knew and they're like my mom was like, oh, I knew since when you were a little kid. <laughs> I was like, come like, thanks. on. Thanks for, thanks, mom. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> it's, it goes to show you, though, it's like, I, I suspect that your family's all like mine, and they're accepting, and they would never, ever have had a problem with any part of that. Yeah. But at the same time, it goes to show you how important certain conversations are to kids. And... Um, visibility and talking openly about different kinds of relationships and just that people like us exist because homophobia, at least um, in the 2000s and 2010s, was so like insidious and it kind of still is in a way that even you can have a very supportive, very like welcoming family and still feel like they're like it's not a welcome thing like it's not okay it's still different like you're not comfortable with it you think there's something wrong with it um or you just don't even know how to label what you feel so i agree i um 
I had a similar, I mean, you didn't like go all the way and get married to someone who was no. the wrong gender, but um, yeah, it's, it's crazy how that works. So the same thing happened. Like, you know, my, my dad and my sister were like, Oh yeah, that makes, yeah, we know. <laughs> like, well, thank you for saying something before now. Yeah. But well, wasn't your sister like, you need to do marriage counseling. Well, yeah. I think she was just trying to be supportive and like yeah. whatever way was, I think she was more just harmful like, to your life. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't, I need a divorce. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy how that happens, but I'm glad that you're out. It, life's better, isn't it? Oh, it's hundred percent better. Yeah. So much better. I used to get like, here's how I knew. I mean, I, I knew in like a lot of different ways, but like I had a lot of friends growing up and it was like, every time they would get a boyfriend, I would get pissed. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you know what I mean like like it wasn't like I was in love with them but it was like I was projecting my gayness and I just wanted everyone else to be like me and then I would find definitive proof I definitely feel that probably weren't and I would just get pissed off I think I was more like sad I was like ugh, why would you want that we can just be best friends like really really good for like really good friends yeah <laughs> uh that's crazy um what was your weirdest Halloween costume as a kid? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I had a lot of great costumes. My mom would often make my costumes. Gosh, that was my weirdest. <laughs> I'd say kind of like the creepiest costume was I decided to be, I think, Bullseye from Toy Story 2. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my mom made the costume because we would not buy costumes nope. um and <laughs> just thinking about it it, it was just it kind of looked creepy it looked weird <laughs> um yeah i'd say that was kind of the weirdest one but i was never anything like super like flamboyant or like out of the ordinary yeah that's cool I was a, a bat one year, like a, a lit, like I wanted to be a literal bat, like not a cute Halloween bat, like a bat. So I, I had that strange. Yeah. And then a very realistic Dracula the next year, like with like the widow's peak and like just white face, like not a cute version of a vampire that like a normal girl would do. Literally Dracula. Uh, those are my best two. And then it's always juxtaposed against my sister who was like a cowgirl princess or like a Disney princess. And then it's like, so Megan's like, you know, Ariel from Little Mermaid and I'm literal Dracula. <laughs> that like sums up. That's that's our childhood. Did you guys get to last? Yesterday was, was Halloween. I'm on a Halloween kick. Did you get, do you guys get trick-or-treaters? No, we we are lucky that we don't because she I. She lives I, in an old folks home. Thank you. Old folks yeah, community. She lives in it's a community It's not an old with folks old home. It's just like a townhouse like development. And yes, we are the youngest individuals by at least, <laughs> by at least 20 to 30 years. Uh, it so. sounds quiet though. It is. So yeah. I'm not complaining. That's so what if you. Okay. So hypothetically speaking, let's say you lived in a neighborhood like ours, which I can only describe as like. I don't know, maybe the densest collection of... No, it's not super six dense. Six to 12-year-old. In my head, it is. We have tons of kids. What would your approach to trick-or-treat be if you uh, had to deal with it? A hundred percent, like, all of our lights would be off. Um, 
and there would be no candy. <laughs> you wouldn't even I, put out a bowl. You wouldn't even be I like, mean, take what you want. I don't know. I guess Jackie and I were kind of talking about it last night, and I'm not sure we ever came to like a conclusion as to what we would do. Hmm. A bowl outside, maybe, maybe that could have been okay, but I just like screaming children's just, I love kids, like other people's kids, but the screaming and the excitement's too much, too much for me. <laughs> Last yeah. night, like I bought all this candy for the kids and then we bought like a, a like a plastic pumpkin because I was like, I'm not going to carve a pumpkin. So we just to show like, oh, this house is open for business. You can come and get candy. And the first doorbell rings and like Meredith doesn't go get the door. And like I have doorbell phobia. Like don't had already, ring my doorbell. We had already talked about Anyways, this. I told Meredith last year, like one of the things that she agreed to when she was in a relationship with me is that she has to be the one to do the trick-or-treaters. And she just gave up on it last night. She was like, I'm not doing it. So then we put a bowl out and I was like, this is dumb because last year we had the same amount of candy and I gave a handful to every, we gave a handful out to every kid. So like probably like four pieces, which is totally reasonable based on my childhood experience of trick-or-treating. And there was a lot of candy left over. Last night, the candy was gone in under an hour. So there were kids taking way more than their share, it, which I knew would happen. Incentivizes an early start. So what I was going to do, because she put a sign to say, mm. only grab two pieces, I was going to stand and watch. And if a kid took more than two, I would open the door. and That would actually be pretty funny. And say like, hey, <laughs> put those back but you'll do that but you won't answer a door when well, i didn't end up doing either because i don't want to talk to them but mm -hmm. that was my thought and i might do it next year mm -hmm. if i can muster up the courage yeah or you could just like you could open the, the window and just have like a cache of like water balloons or i ready. could be like hiding in the bushes or something yeah that would be scary mm -hmm. i hope all you right. can get this all on video so yeah i can watch it probably <laughs> top notch content it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, okay. So you are, let's change the subject again. What's, so you're in Victoria, mm -hmm. which um, is on what people call it, the island. Yeah. Vancouver Island. It's which I learned recently because I'm watching Sea Wolves, the documentary. Don't know if um. you've, it's on Netflix. It's fantastic. Um, it's the largest uh, island either in the, like on the West coast or, of all of North America. I think all of North America is the largest oh. island. Oh, nice. Fun fact. Um, okay. What is the, what is your favorite part about living there? Cause it's beautiful. And then follow up to that. What is the, what is the least convenient part of living there? Oh, probably the best part of living here is that you're always like 10 to 15 minutes away from the ocean. Um, and like one of my favorite things to do on the weekends is just like go for a walk on the beach because often some beaches you won't have cell service either, which is really nice. Um, and being able to see um, the, I don't know if it's the Olympic um, National Park or being able to see the mountains, the Rockies or whatever mountain yeah. range it is. <laughs> um, I don't actually that, know which one it is. <laughs> yeah, I should know, but yeah. Um, yeah, those are probably the two best things about living on the island. Yeah. And then, um, least convenient, like the thing that you're like, oh, I wish I just lived like on the mainland. What is that? 
Um, probably the fact that to get to the mainland, you have to take a ferry or a plane, and it always adds like an hour to a trip anywhere, like that you have to plan for. And I like to think, well, I don't like to think, but I'm pretty sure that it is extremely expensive to live here compared to anywhere else in BC or Canada. Like, it's so expensive. Yeah. I'm sick of it. <laughs> I assume, like, I mean, Harry and Megan have a place in Victoria, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. So one can assume that, you know, you're living among the fancy people. It's going to come with a fancy price tag. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. really asking the really deep, thoughtful questions. Well, I'm getting I'm getting there. Okay. Um. Okay, so the, like you mentioned, walking on the beach. So this is something that um, I sort of get my clients to think about, but it's, you know, what kind of, what kind of, what activities ground you outside of exercise, which I think is something that we all have in common, common but what, you know, what kind of reconnects you to, to yourself? Like what, is it walking on the beach? Is it like, what is it for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, probably going for just like a walk, like either on the beach or like in the, in the forest on a trail, um, with, with Jackie or, or even by myself. Um, I typically like, if I do go for a walk, I don't listen to music. I kind of just make myself sit with my own thoughts. Um, I find that it's kind of the best time to think is like when you're walking. Um, yeah, probably just that. Uh, I definitely do depend on exercise to like help ground me. (laughs) Like, uh, I mean, there's no shame in that sometimes, but no, yeah, no, yeah, just the walking, being outside. Yeah, I think um, exercise, like when you when you conceptualize it as like a daily practice instead of this this thing that you're going to go, you know, burn off steam or you know distract yourself from certain aspects of your life. There's a there's a lot of value in like a daily practice of moving your body, however you want to do that, like whether it's CrossFit or yoga or Weight, tra- weight training. So I think there's definitely something to that. And then there's all those correlations between people who have a daily exercise routine and their overall happiness. And um, there, you know, there's a, obviously like a weight correlation. There's a health correlation. There's an income correlation. Like it's just a really good kind of foundational habit to have. So mm-hmm. definitely get that. Yeah. I agree. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> um, okay, my question, my next question for you is, do you ever feel, as somebody who's on the very like far end of fit and you look fit, like, would you say you are ever in a, in a scenario that you feel like self-conscious of your body? Oh, yeah, um, 100%. Like, even wearing, like, shorts. <laughs> um, like, is there a specific environment you feel that more? Environment. Like, do you, always, do you always struggle with that? Or is that something you're always working on? Because I think we all do struggle with, like, body insecurity to some degree. Um, but, like, we've discussed how, like, sometimes when I'm outside of, like, the fitness community, if I'm wearing, like, a sleeveless shirt, it's like, I don't know if it's because I don't like the attention or if it's just like, yeah, it's something people don't normally see where I get like almost self-conscious about it. It's not like, I'm not like ashamed. It's more just like, 
I can tell people are looking or what are they thinking or that sort of thing? Or like, do you just have kind of like a general like kind of thinking is something you work on? Like that's like as a topic, like where are you at with like body image? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, I still have like my own struggles with body image, like specifically when we're talking about like prioritizing like performance versus like aesthetics. Um, but like the more I think about it, like I am very comfortable just like going out, like wearing like a sleeveless shirt or whatever. And I don't mind like if people look whatever, um, just because I've, I've worked like, I know I've worked so hard and I'm so diligent about things to, to like look a certain way, um, that I don't care. Like if people are going to like pass judgment for it or whatever, but I will say that the the instance or the situation that I'm still uncomfortable with is any kind of like formal event, like where I have to dress up. And I kind of went through a phase where I'd wear like like a short sleeve shirt that's like a button up or something, or like some kind of make it like a like nice trousers and a shirt or whatever. Um, but I don't necessarily feel comfortable in that either. So like I go back and forth between like should I wear a dress? Do I not wear a dress? Do I wear a suit? Well, suits don't fit me because like my upper body's too big and like I can't move my arms across my chest because of my <laughs> stupid lats. Like, um, like it took me a while to figure out what to wear to your wedding. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I brought like three different things with me to wear. And I, I asked like Jackie and both and Joe, I was like, what do I wear? Like, does this actually look okay? Like, I don't know. <laughs> So, like, the whole formal wear is something I still, like, I just don't know. Like, I don't feel comfortable in in either, like, thing that's considered to be formal. This, this is such, this a, speaks to us. such a relevant conversation. <laughs> we just talked about this for, like, an hour yesterday. Mm-hmm. Oh. Because yeah. uh, we were like, what, what is our, like, what is your style? Like, if you had a stylist, like, what do you think they would dress you up in? Or, like, where do you feel most comfortable because I'm like even for the wedding Meredith said that that's probably the last time she'll ever wear like a dress or a skirt and I was like me too but then I'm like I'm not a suit person either like I've never worn a suit I I, same as you I don't unless I'm wearing like a men's jacket which also would look ridiculous like I just don't wear jackets because they don't fit me so like what is my style what do I wear it's hard. Like, I think that... And also, where do you find this stuff at a reasonable price? Because I see stuff that, like, Brandy Carlisle wears, and I'm like, I could pull that off. But then but she, I'm like, basically says, like, I can't afford this. Like, she can't afford this stuff. She's like, but I have stylists and companies who want to work with me. So, basically, I just show up, and they bring me clothes that I get to wear, and then I give back. And I'm like, okay, but, like, how do normal people end up with that kind of situation? Because it's, like, when... There's almost, like, a... If I when we put a dress on, there's like a harshness to it. Like it when you're wearing women's clothes, <laughs> it's like something just ain't right. At least yeah, it looks. At, at least that's how I feel inside. Yeah, I'm like, this is not right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is, that's how I feel. <laughs> and then there's like it's like you know you wear a suit, and like that's softer because it's, but it's still like well this doesn't fit right. <laughs> we feel you. And what yeah. shoe do I wear? Sneakers. Do I get boots? What about heels? Are heels out of the question? Yes, they are. Uh, they yeah. are 1,000% never wearing heels. So anyways, we haven't yeah. landed on like a good answer for this. Work yeah. in progress for everybody. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like if I were to get invited to like a gala, I have absolutely. Oh no my idea. goodness, that's a nightmare. I would have. I would have to like. I would have to go buy some like really expensive stuff <laughs> and then like just tuck the tags. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. It's like it's that whole. We live in a still a very binary world from a a wardrobe standpoint. Yeah. But even if yeah. I was into men. I still don't think that would change anything. No, I'm not. And I'm not saying that. It I don't would. even think it has to do with, I'm not saying anyone's saying this. I just, I don't know if it necessarily even has to do with like my sexuality. No, it's just like what I'm comfortable in. Yeah. Like it just looks weird when I have a dress on. Like, I don't mm. know. Anyway, mm. good answer. Yeah. yeah. It's relevant. Well, unless you have any questions for us. <laughs> <laughs> No, I feel like I know quite a bit about you just yeah. from, you know, spending some time with you and listening to the podcast. Okay, I do have one. Let's end on this one last question. All okay. right, I'm ready. What is, it, tell us a story of one of your most embarrassing moments. <laughs> we love uh, the embarrassing stories. Damn it. This, see, this is something you should have prepared I know, for. I just, it just came to me. Um, <laughs> I actually just... I told Jackie this like a month or two ago. It was second grade. <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> was, we were sitting in a circle <laughs> in the library. And um, the librarian was like <laughs> reading. I don't even remember what the book was. but um, <laughs> Dickens probably. <laughs> yeah, you know, probably for second graders. Classics. And I, we were, I was sitting cross-legged and... I farted and it was so loud. <laughs> it was so loud. And like the librarian didn't stop reading, like nobody stopped. And I turned bright red. And like my face is already normally pretty like flush, mm -hmm. but like I looked like a freaking tomato. It was, <laughs> it was so embarrassing. And nobody said anything to me right away afterwards. But then this one student had like a, had an assistant and for some reason, like, we would talk sometimes, like, I don't know, she liked me or something, like, she thought I was fun to talk to, but she came over and she's like, man, you really let a big one rip there, Meg. <laughs> <laughs> and second I just, like, grade. yeah, second grade, I just was so, still so embarrassed. I just, like, I don't even think I said anything to her. I just walked away. That's but, amazing. Yeah, that still haunts me. Yeah. The amount of embarrassment you'd have to feel to, like, have that permanently ingrained at yeah. that age is incredible. Yeah. I also just, I don't know, I have a good memory, but it was scarring. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a good one. It's a really good one. I love a good fart story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's like if there's any question about who it was, you're like, it was the red sweaty girl. That's <laughs> 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 oh, so good. <laughs> oh, you got anything else there, nope. Alex? Nothing right. for me. I'm glad we finally got you on. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit out of my comfort zone, and I think you guys know that. So, yeah, thanks, thanks for being patient. <laughs> yeah, we enjoyed this. We maybe when you're in Calgary in a month, we can yeah. do another one in person. That would probably be easier. Yeah, yeah. No, this has been good. Um, yeah. Well, we obviously like we're huge fans, and we feel very lucky to have you to know you as a person, to have you as a friend. And then on top of that, have you on our, our team. Like it's, yeah, we're, we're stoked. And 
no surprise, like, you know, your clients love you and we hear that all the time. So well, thanks guys. Yeah. Um, cool. So if people want to find you online, how do they do that? Uh, my Instagram handle is mpurdue 16. Don't ask why the number 16, <laughs> but that's what it is. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, well, thanks again. It's been great. And, uh, yeah, we'll do this. We'll do this again. Mm -hmm.